Thank you for listening to BMO Business Unplanned. If you liked today's episode and would like more information, you can download the ebook for the show. Today's ebook is all about obtaining and keeping top talent. Get started and stay in the know today. Download your free ebook at bmo.com slash attract the best people, or check the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to Business Unplanned, a business podcast brought to you by BMO. I'm Michael Hyatt, and this is part two of a four-part series entitled, How to Work On, Not In, Your Business. This audio comes from our virtual event held on June 7th, 2022. In this episode, I'm joined by Iman Masood, Executive Human Resources Relationship Manager for ADP Canada. We'll be discussing the best practices for distributed workforces and remote workforces and how businesses can engage and retain top talent. For additional resources, you can visit bmo.com slash smallbusinessresourcehub. Iman Masood, Executive Human Resource Relationship Manager at ADP. So we're all aware of the term, the great resignation. It's a term that we all hear. If you travel anywhere, you'll find signs in shop windows looking for help. If you scroll through LinkedIn or your Twitter feed, you'll notice that many of these postings mention that your colleague's company is hiring. What are you seeing in terms of the great resignation right now? Thank you for that. It's a great question. I like to think about it as the great realization more than the great resignation, because it's been more than two years since the onset of this virus. And we have so many certainties that absolutely sure about that have completely gone out the window with this. At the same time, we're hearing about the economic landscape that's changed fundamentally. And we're hearing about this from Michael. We're hearing about this from Robert. We know when we look at our day-to-day and running our businesses, that there's a major shift in the economic landscape, in the political landscape. And these are extremely challenging amongst issues like rising inflation and our supply chain delays. But all of this really combines to create this mix of pressures, right? That And it's going to affect our businesses for times to come. We're not going to have a drastic shift right away. This is going to be the new normal for some time, at least. And to add to all of that, we're seeing that the sentiment and the needs of our global workforce are just changing. We're changing the way that we look at things. The employer relationship is changing fundamentally and dramatically. And it's imperative that employers understand that they're the drivers, really, as well as the potential impacts of the shifts of it. Because you want to make sure that you can attract and retain talent to create stronger and more resilient businesses, right? We've had our People at Work 2022 study published recently by the ADP Research Institute. And we're seeing a few things. We're seeing that one, workers want change. So in terms of job security and business ethics, we are not just seeing that lots of employees are looking to shift from one organization to the other. So there's actually seven in 10 workers globally are contemplating a major career move. And there's a sense of them questioning about what job security really means post-pandemic. And it's not just about a steady paycheck, right? This pandemic has put our well-being and our life outside of work into really clear perspective. And we're seeing that workers are really interested in what the company's ethics and values are. Three quarters of the employees that were studied, and I think it was 38,000 participants globally in the study, said that they would consider looking for a new job if they just discovered that their company had unfair gender pay gaps or no diversity and inclusion policy. So 
this is pretty dramatic in the way that people are starting to realize what they want to prioritize and what's important for them. Job satisfaction and outlook is changing. Generally, employees are upbeat, but we're also seeing that salary is a priority. It's important, but it's not everything. So pay is still the most important factor in a job. But at the same time, we're seeing that seven in 10 employees would really like more flexibility as to when they work. One of the ways that we might be able to engage employees and to retain employees is to be creative with what we're offering. So we're thinking about four-day work weeks. We're thinking about just improving work-life balance or having more flexibility in the way that we're allowing them to structure their hours. It really reinforces the idea that we as employers need to make a trade-off sometimes between pay and other factors to keep workers content and fulfilled just because pay is important, but it's not everything. And then of course there's mental health. So we keep on hearing that there's the COVID-19 pandemic and then there's the shadow pandemic or the mental health pandemic. Stress is increasing, work is suffering. Stress at work is actually right now at critical levels and 67% of workers are actually experiencing at least once a week. That's up from 62% pre-pandemic. So our workers, our employees are being impacted professionally, they're being impacted personally, and the impact is profound. The impact is not just to the employees, but to the businesses that they work in. It's just completely and totally unsustainable. As businesses, we can do our best to support our staff with well-being days or stress management breaks or counseling, but there's so much intense and sustained pressure that we really need to rethink what we can do as employers to minimize these triggers, to minimize stress, to ease the burden. And in this great realization, which is, you know, another word for the great resignation or the great rethink or the great reset or whatever you call it, people have really shifted not just how they're thinking, but how they function as well. So there's career shifts, there's people rethinking whether their career is the right one for them or whether they're in the right space, but they're also rethinking where they live and if that's the right space for them. So we've seen that so many employees, workers have been working from home, moving out of urban centers to different locations. Lots of people are still contemplating relocating. There's a substantial, it's still a minority, but there's a substantial minority that have already relocated. And this means now that the old model of work no longer works for them. So actually forcing them to come back into work is not feasible, not desirable. And often it's just not possible. I have a client who announced their return to work that day. They realized that several of the people that were supposed to come back to work had actually moved out of the city. And one had moved to the Dominican Republic. True story. There is no way that this employee is actually going to come back to work if they've moved so far away and they're so happy with where they are. So it is a great resignation, I suppose, but it's also so much more than that. We're just, you know, working life, they're not independent entities now. We're not fighting for like a 50 50 balance between work and life because that's how we can demarcate or separate these two things. We just can't. We need to, as employers, understand and acknowledge that work and life are intertwined with each other. They're affecting each other. They're only to be seen together. 
And um, my recommendation coming out of this is really for employers. I agree with Michael about over-communicating, communicating to the point of over-communicating, not just with investors, but with everyone that's a stakeholder, including employees here, because you want to encourage open communication between workers and employers to detect any issues and concerns before they become really massive have regular meetings, think outside the box when it comes to ideas about how you could retain, attract, retain, and engage employees. And that might just be having different work schedules, having a hybrid work structure, or creative ways like more programs around work-life balance or additional days off, or even days with no cameras during meetings, or lately we're hearing a lot more about four-day work weeks. So there's a lot that we can do as employers that's not just related to pay and increases in pay to attract, retain, motivate, and have these long-term employees as we move through our hopefully post-pandemic phase where everything's changed. Yeah, Michael, this is such a great debate. The idea of, can you run a business remotely? What do you do if people leave, but they're great employees? Where do you come down on all this in your companies? I hate to say it depends, but it depends. And there's a monster battle going on right now. My friends that work at the big banks in Toronto are just put their hands in the air. They were adamant, I would say six, eight months ago, that they're going to come back. Everybody's going to come back three, four days a week. I just had a walk and talk, a coffee with a good friend of mine who's a VP and is like, we're asking for one day and we're encouraging two, (laughs) you know? And I think that's it. Now, I have another software company that we have maybe 250 and we can get 25 of 250 a day to come back. Our profits are up, our gross margins are up, our growth is up, you know, so kind of we're okay. Now we're wondering why we spent all this money on a beautiful office. So for certain companies, this really works, but it's almost like the pandemic pushed everybody forward 10 or 15 years of what that balance is going to be. Then at the other end, you have Elon Musk who came out and said, and everybody's talking about it this week says, hey, you don't want to come into work, you're probably doing nothing. So you can go do nothing outside of Tesla and leave. And you can practice, I think, doing nothing outside of Tesla. And you know what? In a way, he has a point in, in some respects for some companies. I think every company is battling with how to bring people back and how to make that balance without losing great people. And I don't think there's any easy answer. No, what I've seen is like things like they're trying to bring use a ritual food saying, you come back to the office and we'll give you ritual credits to get people to come back. You know, I think some lunches help and stuff like that. But if I were to boil it all down, I'll tell you the work-life balance is going to be two days a week, max three days if you have a super engaged workforce and that's it. I don't see it rolling back. And maybe some of the other panelists can comment. I think it's just the way it's going to be. And I predict what's going to happen is companies are going to start hiring less people in a way and figure out if they can do more with less in this uh, coming period of time. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I'd love to put that to the panel later on. I'm sure we'll get different opinions. Iman, while we're seeing a large percentage of the Canadian workforce having already returned to the office, we've also seen many who have opted to work remotely, as we've just talked about. How does this new distributed workforce allow for a fair and level playing field when it comes to succession planning and promotions? Is there such a thing as a Zoom ceiling? And that's where it's at, right? So we think about what pros and cons are of being working remotely versus coming back into the office. And I love, Michael, that you brought up this comment by Elon Musk. 
I've read about it. I've been thinking about it. I've really been trying to wrap my head around what happens next. And we have some data about what happens when people are working more outside of the office, because what's challenging is that it's not that everyone often is working in the office or everyone is working out of the office. I don't know if you've been part of one of these meetings, hybrid meetings I have where I'm remote, but everybody else is in office or I'm in office and then there's somebody that's remote. There's a huge difference in experience in what you feel like when you're sitting with people, talking with them. And then if you're sort of like a little person on a screen that's, that's remote, you are kind of not really part of all of that informal conversation. So that's really all to say that there is a difference. We've also found that there's this thing that we're calling the proximity bias. So we had a study, ADP did a study in December 2021 to really measure the impact of proximity bias, specifically in trying to see whether there was preferential treatment or advantages for those that are working in office over those that are working remotely part-time or full-time. And we did find that while employers and leaders generally agree that, like you said, Michael, hybrid and flexible work options will remain in place, there is a difference between the perception. So in-office employees are still perceived to have inherent advantages for their career, including better relationships, better opportunities, more FaceTime, right? So better relationships, more career advancement, more social encounters, and it's really unconscious. So it's obviously not something that we are intentionally wanting to do. But in this post-pandemic world, it means that we really are perhaps favoring those that are getting more face time. So as employers in navigating this hybrid workforce, I think it's just really important to be intentional about knowing and accepting that this bias can exist, but then also coming up with strategies and tactics to try to ensure that we are offering similar opportunity to those that are not in as close proximity. And The survey also found that 63% of Canadian workers that were surveyed did feel that being physically present provides a better opportunity for career advancement, would perhaps speculate. But it's inherent, it's unconscious as employers, again, acknowledge that it can occur. There may be some difference that can be made through investing in good technology for those virtual meetings so that, you know, if you have a virtual meeting, you have a camera that's actually focused in on the person that's speaking, regardless of who it is. If there's people that are all in person and there's a few people that are virtual, invest in technology around engagement that encourages feedback, have remote learning opportunities and training programs, and just encourage equal presence and participation in these meetings. There is going to be a difference between face-to-face and between people that are remote. I think that as employers, we just need to be cognizant of that and address that before it becomes a major issue. So Iman, what's the first thing that an HR professional or a business owner who's hiring should be doing to action their recruitment or engagement strategy? How do you find these employees in the current workforce? So I'll focus more around what you do first, because What you do first really addresses the second question is that how do you then find those employees? I'd say that now more than ever, with so much increased connectivity and so much potential in 
how you can get the word out through social media, through platforms, through... There's so much more avenues now for recruiting than we used to have traditionally. I'd say just become known as a great employer. You want to have your people, the people that have the values and the skills that your organization requires. You want to be where they are. So you want to be on the social media platforms that they are. You want to be at the events and at the conferences and at the different gatherings that those people, your people are at. And just become known for who you are, for what you stand for, and focus in on what your brand is as an employer. So I like to think about it in terms of we do a lot of work on the customer experience and on marketing and on the different touch points that we have as companies with our target market that we're actually selling things to. But here, I like to think about it more as thinking about the employee experience or the candidate experience or the future candidate experience, the potential candidate experience in all of those different touch points that they have with the organization. They're always evaluating what the organization stands for and what it would be like to possibly work at that organization. So I'd say, first and foremost, build your employer brand. Think about what your current employees are saying. Think about what the word of mouth is. Make your employees your biggest ambassadors. Ask them to share their stories on social media. Ask them to let their networks know what it feels like to work at that organization. There's huge amounts of great hires that can come in from referrals from inside your organization, from people that know what it's like to work there. And every organization, every large brand has an image that comes to mind when you think about their products. If you know about that brand, I'd say think about that in terms of what comes to mind as an employer. And I'm sure that when we talk about different brands, some of the ones that Michael talked about earlier are Apple and Microsoft and Meta and Google, I think. And, and then we spoke about Tesla as well. So each one of those really brings to mind a feel of what it possibly is like to purchase those products, but then also what it's like to work for one of those companies. So focus in on that and hone in about on what you're communicating out to potential possible candidates that may be employees in the future. Yeah. Michael, anything that you're thinking of doing in your companies to uh, brand yourselves as a good employer and find those great employees? You know what? I would be all over it if there was like one thing you could do. The truth is, is that a culture takes, I don't know, it takes a village kind of thing. It takes a lot of First off, in the question I'd have for many people watching this, have you done an anonymous survey that people really believe is anonymous about your company and how many people, as they would say through the Net Promoter Score, would actually recommend you to one of their friends? And if that's not above 70% of your company, you have to think about what's going on. Culture isn't important in a company. It's literally everything. And you can learn that the hard way or the easy way. But there's probably a ton of small things you can do to make sure that you're really digging into the human experience and making sure that your employees really feel safe with you and they feel like it's a purposeful place and they understand why they're in the company and where the company is going and what the mission is. Yeah. So just to wrap up this section, Iman, when we're all listening to the same ads for recruiting companies on the radio, going to the same platforms for the same candidates, there's always going to be an employer who secures the candidate and the one that loses them. What's different and what can businesses do to actually secure that right candidate? So I want to circle back to something Michael said in the start. And he spoke about really keeping things simple. 
So I would focus in on this as well, again, as employers that are looking for the right candidates for your open positions or positions in the future. You want to be where your talent pool is for sure, but you really want to simplify what it might mean to be successful in a particular role in an organization and then break that down in job postings. Say what really it takes in terms of knowledge and skills and abilities to perform that role. So a lot of times we see that there is credentials that we often have listed in job postings that may or may not really be required for that position, but they knock a lot of candidates out. So try to widen your reach in terms of candidates and also look in places that you might not necessarily think about as your traditional spaces where you'd find talent. So look beyond titles on the resume, look beyond conventional backgrounds. So think about what might be a hidden workforce for you, such as caregivers or veterans, immigrants, people with physical and mental challenges or the previously incarcerated. They're especially prone to being hidden from prospective employers by platforms and cycling back to this human experience. And I'll just wrap up with this. We've gone towards applicant tracking system, recruiting systems and recruiting technology, which is great because it allows us to really weed out some of the candidates that may be a better fit for the organization or for the role. However, we need to bring that human experience back in now and simplify things and think about what that role really needs to do, what it means to work for this organization, what the culture speaks for, and widen that net to see that we're finding the right people for the organization. Thank you for listening to Business Unplanned, a podcast brought to you by BMO. For more information on how you can prepare your business for the future, visit bmo.com slash smallbusinessresourcehub. BMO Smarter Investing is a podcast that will help you make smarter investing decisions. Join top BMO economists, Douglas Porter, Sal Gautieri, and Jennifer Lee for monthly insights on markets, economy, growth, inflation, and so much more. A deep dive into the trends and developments impacting our world today. Tune into BMO Smarter Investing wherever you listen to podcasts.